0: Stacy Bratzel and Daryl McIntyre on 630 Chen is brought to you by Abe's Door Service where service is their specialty visit abesdoor.ca
1: Good morning, everyone. 6.06, you're listening to This Morning on 6.30 Chit. Uh, I'm Stacy Bratzel, hanging out with uh, Daryl McIntyre. And we, of course, will be talking uh, Oilers throughout the show. Obviously, a lot of fans wondering what went wrong yesterday. Uh, But to put things into perspective, we're also focusing on Remembrance Day, Mm -hmm. which is tomorrow.
0: Uh, And so uh, lots of people... For them, Remembrance Day means different things. Um, Of course. Perhaps you have a family member who was involved in service at some point. At this point, for the Second World War, I believe I said I saw that there's only just over 9,000 Second World War Mm. veterans. Who are still with us. Mm-hmm. So some of those, it's very important to keep hearing those stories and finding out what they went through for that. But there have been, sur- has been service in so many other theatres and regular service, peacetime service as well within uh, the military. And, uh, and so that's all remembered as well. For, for an awful lot of people, it's not remembering, it's honouring the veterans of today. And uh, that's where we go to with our next guest. Uh, he has a, a podcast called Operation Tango Romeo. Tango for trauma. Romeo for Recovery. It's the Trauma Recovery Podcast for uh, military, for veterans, first responders as well, their families. name is uh, Mark Meinke, and he's joining us uh, this morning to talk about the podcast, about Remembrance Day, but also uh, we want to focus in on one of the most recent podcasts. So, Mark, good morning. How are you? Hey,
1: folks, thanks so much for having me.
2: You betcha. Nice so to Mark, have
1: you. Why did you want to start this podcast? Tell us a little bit about your background. <laughs>
2: Well, I'm an Army veteran, and I was in a war that caused me an injury of PTSI and uh, post-traumatic stress injury, and it, I went 23 years without being diagnosed, is the short version. So when I started the healing journey, that was a tough, tough road to hoe. Um, that first phone call was really something, the thousand-pound telephone, and there was no help uh, after my initial intake. There was a 10-month gap before I could actually see a therapist. So uh, the only thing really that I could do was join this peer support group, which I wasn't too big on, you know. It it sounded like a kumbaya kind of thing, and it didn't really seem like it was for me. But I joined, and I'm glad I did. And then a year later, I uh, actually started running the group. I was the facilitator. Then I started to realize, oh, man, there's so much power in this peer support group. People come from hours away just to come here once every two weeks. So how do I scale it? How do I make it bigger, more accessible to more people? Then I started the show.
0: Because the, the most important thing f- from the sounds of it is to not feel alone. You said that it was really hard making that first phone call because, well, you just don't know. And so not being alone, knowing that there are others who have gone through the same thing, knowing that there's basically a, a place where you belong, how, much, how vital has that been?
2: Well, that's why it was a 1,000-pound telephone. A a big part of it is that I was the guy with the cape. I was the superhero, you know, uh, the hero of the story. And you had to swallow some serious pride in order to go, ugh, I need help. I need help. I'm the guy that needs to be rescued here. That was brutal. And unfortunately, some people never, ever do it because the stigma of asking for help is just too much for somebody that used to be the hero, uh, or perhaps they're active serving and they still are. So when they hear people like myself talking openly and honestly, what we're doing is called lending courage, which is why we often say in the healing community, "recover out loud." When you recover out loud, you're lending courage, and you're taking away the stigma because you're you're saying the things that you're going through and that you're injured with a ptsi like it's no big deal because it's common and there shouldn't be any shame so when we talk without shame it lets others know that there's really no shame to be had it's okay to not be okay
1: So you went from a 1,000-pound telephone to sharing is caring bandwagon, right? I saw that on your website yesterday. Share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring, you bet. Who do you look for in terms of guests and topics?
2: Well, when it first started, it was peer support. Um, So it was more psyched and um, just letting people know this is the injury and this is what we do. And then after that, I was like, well, there's got to be a better mousetrap because this Experience that I had at the Operational Stress Injury Clinic. It's, <laughs> there's got to be a better mousetrap. There's got to be a better way. Or for the people that um, just won't do talk therapy, there has to at least be a different way, something that that is a better fit for them. So I started looking and looking. And looking, and it turns out I was the only guy looking hmm. because they're out there. And I found different healing modalities and practitioners from around the world. Uh, so that was the first bit, and then it moved into advocacy, which is uh, uh, my uh, an example of that is my recent episode.
0: Uh, that one—that's exactly where we wanted to go next. Because you talked to a fellow by the name of uh, Phil Brooks, and he had a, the hashtag was Phil on the Hill. Uh, tell us a little <laughs> bit about his background, because we do have a clip of him from your your podcast, just saying about his experience. But set it up for us a little bit about about who Phil is and uh, what his story is.
2: So Phil is a injured Air Force veteran. He was a pilot, and one of the. Common injuries that uh, happened to people of my vintage was methylene poisoning, which is uh, something that for years and years and years the military like to pretend wasn't real, wasn't happening, just like Agent Orange and and other things that um, famous things that uh, veterans were poisoned with. So uh, the, mef- the methylene poisoning and other injuries that happened to them, uh, causing the. Ab- incredibly brilliant man like this guy is (laughs) like a 150 plus IQ kind of guy a lawyer a high achiever Um, this degenerative poisoning uh, is a brain injury so basically he has like an encephalitis and he has he's so disabled that uh, at times like he he can barely speak he can't think correctly he cannot function so he was on veterans' benefits, and because he didn't fill out the right form at the in the right way at the right time, didn't jump through the hoops. They cut him off of his benefits instead of helping him and supporting him. And he and ended up going.
0: Why, he ended up going on Parliament Hill people. in order to tra- to draw attention to that. Uh, this this is how some of those uh, three weeks went. For 21 days, I'm standing outside
2: Parliament, and literally these these politicians walking right past me, breaking their neck not to make eye contact, like it's visible. That's our 40 mirror. Yeah, and that's been his experience. Um, it, it's bizarre. Like, I, I, I'm not a, a partisan guy at all, but isn't it interesting that about 90 percent of the politicians that did talk to him, because finally some did. It took a few weeks, but finally some did, other than a couple of friends of mine. Um, They were all Conservatives. I think there's been two Liberal MPs that have talked to him, and the rest have been Conservative and zero NDP that I'm aware of. I don't know why that is. I I don't understand. Um, He's wearing a suit, (laughs) he's uh, very easy to talk to, very intelligent guy, and non-threatening in any way. He's super polite, and he, he comes across really well. So I don't know why people are avoiding him. He's he's not uh, some crazy coop uh, s- screaming conspiracy theories. Yeah. He's uh, he's, a, he's a very put-together guy.
0: He ended up uh, getting the chance to meet with the veteran affairs minister, and then you uh, you talked to him about that.
2: So right. let's, and they, let's, they let's go support. back to the conversation with the minister. Um, yeah. What was her response to listening to you, and what did she promise you? <clears throat> okay, well, don't forget she was cornered. So I stood outside for 21 days. I starved for Phil, three Phil, in the floor. What did she promise you? Nothing. She just shows she didn't yeah. make a promise.
1: It was very interesting listening to this podcast, uh, Mark. Um, as a as a host who has been there, you come from it from a different angle than than perhaps me or or Daryl. We've never experienced uh, uh, war trauma. And you gently—you were very gentle as an interviewer, trying to keep Phil on track. That's what I really noticed. You were—you were very kind and gentle and giving, and uh, it was actually quite lovely to listen to.
2: Well, thank you for that. I actually was a little self-conscious that I was being rude, but uh, we—Phil uh, and I—both explained that, and he backed me up kindly. That um, I know he has a brain injury, and that he can't stay on track so uh he graciously allows me to lead him in those conversations and um so it's it's out of love (laughs) and it's also uh, out of respect for the listener that we stay on the point and thank you for pointing that out as very kind of you
1: but do people feel safer with you and, and able to open up to you more than than somebody else
2: well yes because I'm credible. Um, that, that goes back to the lending courage thing because I'm incredibly transparent. Uh, I share things in the show that I wasn't able to tell another human being until I was 48 years old. And my wife was the first person I told about sexual trauma as a child and now I say it very openly without any hesitation because by me doing that it allows others to go, oh, maybe I don't have to keep that dirty little secret yep. uh, because it's, it's the secrets that make you sick. And that transparency lends courage. So I feel a responsibility to be as open as possible.
0: We have one more uh, excerpt from uh, from what Phil was saying because I think that's important as we come up on Remembrance Day about how we remember, how we mark the day. And so Phil had a message to uh, to MPs
2: you you asked what i asked for the first thing is stop kicking injured veterans off their entitlements they're taxpayer funded taxpayers want them delivered de injured uh, veterans deserve them and there is no excuse whatsoever on this god given earth why uh, there should be a withdrawn that is unjust enrichment by the government
0: and it is, it is horribly negligent and harmful so I don't know how many Phil Brooks stories there are mm. out there or what the majority so many. is. There are so many. Well, you've, you've been doing this podcast, you would know. What's your message for Remembrance Day?
2: That to try to understand the sacrifice of the living. It's hmm. nobody ever truly comes home from war. Nobody does. Only a haunted version of yourself returns. A version that is carrying a burden so that others don't have to carry that burden. We're doing it so that others don't have to. And there's us younger folks. Not not everybody who's a veteran is in their 90s. You know, uh, there's active serving right now and people of my vintage that were in the Balkan Wars. And... I've got a lot of friends that have died by suicide because of their injuries or are wicked alcoholics or are homeless on the street, all because of their trauma injuries. And to have compassion. When you see somebody that's homeless on the street, understand that they have a story. They got there for a reason. They're not, uh, they are worthy of your respect and your care and your empathy. Same as any drug addict. They are worthy of your kindness and compassion and understanding because they got a story that'll probably make your toes curl. They all do. Every one of them. Everybody who is in that situation has a trauma story. I'm just glad. uh, I'm lucky. I'm blessed that I never ended up homeless or in jail. I was able, and not because I'm stronger or better. It's, I was just blessed to not end up that way. But it could be you too. And From the uh of God
1: go i, right? That's mm-hmm. that uh, biblical saying. Thanks Mark for all that you do.
2: Uh thanks for having me folks and honestly by having me on today, uh you may have brought one more desperate soul to the show and you may have saved a life. So thank you so much for sharing like the sugar bear <laughs> and <laughs> <pleasure> <laughs> sharing the message. You bet. Thanks Mark. Take care. All right folks, take care. That's Mark
1: is. Uh He is uh, the host of Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast. And if you do need help, he does have this uh, line on his website, the Crisis Services Canada hotline available 24-7, 365 days a year, one 456 4566
0: Where can you remember in our area? We'll talk about those locations next. morning with stacy bratzel and daryl mcintyre on 6:30. 30 presented by abe's door service with 24 7 emergency service where you speak to an actual person visit abesdoor.ca and if you want to find that uh, that website it's simply operation trauma recovery and you can find out more about what mark's been doing and his message
1: I had to actually write down some of the things he said because mm-hmm. they're extremely pov- uh, powerful. Understand the sacrifices of the living. You know, we do talk about mm-hmm. World War One and World War Two, but what about the ones who are going through their own personal wars? Yeah. And also he says, you never come back from war. And I had that experience once. I was in Vietnam and I met uh, a U.S. war vet and I'll never forget him. And he said he left. He obviously suffered amazing trauma, incredibly horrific trauma when he was at war in Vietnam and he went back and he said this wasn't my home anymore the United States so he went back and he lives in Vietnam and I think he's just sort of
0: finding his way
1: oh I think he's far from finding his way but finding uh, a way finding our way and this is he sort of left his youth he left so much of himself on those battlegrounds that that's where he felt that he needed to go, and that's where he needed to be. Um, He failed marriages, left his kids to go to Vietnam, and um, and that's where he's sort of living out his days. He's an older gentleman, lovely gentleman, but uh, obviously lots of trauma there.
0: So, uh, however you remember, Mark commemorate honor. Uh, there are lots of places to do it within the City of Edmonton. There's, there's of course, uh, the one at City Hall that goes mm-hmm. uh, goes each one. year, sure. Uh, and, you know, seating starts early at around 10 o'clock, and the, the main ceremony, of course, is at 11 o'clock. Beverly uh, Cenotaph is obviously a huge one as well.
1: I think that one's almost replaced the Butterdome one, of course. Yeah. Don't go to the Butterdome because th- that it's doesn't happen anymore. So I think that that one, and it's a beautiful um, historic area of town. So uh, that's 118th Avenue and uh, 40th Street in uh, North West Edmonton there, or North East Edmonton.
0: Uh, pretty much any of the legions you can go to. And mm-hmm. even if you're not sure what exactly they're doing, just give them a call. They'd be more than happy to, to, to hear from you. Uh, but, you know, everything, if you think of it as show up at 10.30, uh, Kingsway Legion has ceremony. Uh, Norwood, uh, Strathcona, all of them uh, have things. Uh, Alberta Aviation Museum also has one going mm-hmm. on, because obviously there's so much military aircraft history that they're certainly diving in on Remembrance Day as well.
1: And there's a cenotaph in every small town you go to. Yeah. Uh, sure. Sherwood Park, Saint Albert, uh, Saint Paul. I, when I was up there uh, last weekend, there's one there as well. So
0: you know what else? Uh, sometimes, for whatever circumstance, you don't make it to a ceremony. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's been a poignant moment if you do stop at eleven, and you even if you pause for a minute and mm-hmm. just reflect, and then move about your day. I think there are an awful lot of people who you know, years upon years later, after the second, after the first World War, a second World War, so that you know, in in a hundred years, people would still stop.
1: And pause and think and remember. It makes a difference. Certainly
2: does.